Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Well, hello. <laughs> Hi. You're very cheery today. I'm very cheery <laughs> with my bad accent. What am I doing? How are you? It's, I don't know. Did you watch too much of the Queen's funeral and you're trying to get no, up? No, I didn't. I didn't watch any of the Queen's funeral. It looked long. <laughs> it was like 11 days or something. <clears throat> oh, wow. Uh, when I die, 11 minutes. We're yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. For real. <laughs> um, I think I, I was thinking about our intro re- <laughs> we recorded for the last show. Oh, it was I... terrible. <laughs> sorry, folks. Yeah, sorry. That wasn't our A game, and I don't know why, but well... it wasn't. Also, we record, well, it's evening for you, but it's like at the end of like late afternoon for me. And I've had like call after call after call some days. My brain is just like, yeah, I think that's where we, I think we both were there. Usually one of us is kind of a buoy. And I think both of us were just like, oh, and we usually record right after we do a guest for a future episode. So we've also just talked for an hour. Yeah. Which is fun. It is fun. Um, so you, you've got guitars behind you. I do. I'm in the, I'm in the Mason moan studio right now. So my son's cooler than me. We're going to start a game of where does Christy live this week on the podcast? Oh, okay. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever guesses gets, gets what a virtual high five. <laughs> <laughs> nice uh where is christy staying where is she living today Uh, who knows i might come out and live with you for a while just be careful bell (laughs) bell would love me i'm confident (laughs) i'm confident i mean it has been beautiful out here but i think the rain's getting ready to come so yeah it's really today is spectacular kansas right now is yeah you've got to go outside if you live in kansas now's your window get go go (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm excited to see you in Arkansas in a few weeks because yeah, Arkansas is going to be spectacular at that time of year, that Northwest corner, I think. I hope every time I'm there, it's always raining. So 
but uh, I'm there. I'm <laughs> you were just trying to convince me to do a live podcast outside. I know I was, <laughs> but it, it's that's not race day. So race day is when it <laughs> rains. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I'm heading down there actually in the morning. So for a couple of days and then back and then back to Bentonville again for Big Sugar. There's a lot going on. Uh, well, I'll be down there too. I think we're going to try to do a live podcast recording with some of the Grand Prix cool. women, celebrate the Grand Prix, take you behind the scenes and put tickets for the gravel festival on sale. Yeah. So if you're thinking about 2023, if you can guess where Christy's recording, we'll get you. We'll get you. To the- <laughs> I think it'd have to be a series. Like you'd have to be able to guess correctly for, well, you just told everybody where you're going. For, no, no, no. Where, where I'm recording the, um, where, where I'm recording the podcast from. Yeah. If you can guess the, guess them correctly for the next four times. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck to you, especially since you don't have video. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Some people probably don't even know that you live in Kansas. How, how is that possible? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, but speaking of the Grand Prix. Yes. We have Haley Smith. She's currently leading the Grand Prix. Numero uno. Yeah. It's going to be tight. Don't you think? I think it's, I think the women's race, which I will say I predicted this is going to be the exciting race to watch. And a hundred percent. Cause it's like the women's race has been a blast. One, two, and three are within three are points. Super tight. And I mean, even the top 10 is super fun. Like I, I'm just, I'm really enjoying it. So I predicted it was going to be a mountain biker. And it's Let's like right got. now it's, it's, uh, Haley, uh, so Sarah, mm-hmm. uh, Sophia, Sophia, and then Rose is in the top five too, right? Yep. She I, is. I forgot yep. who four is. Sorry. Whoever four is. I think Rose yeah. is five. I don't know. Maybe we need to do a, uh, remember that one time that we did like our predictions, but you were, you didn't play the game, right? That's not, I, I don't like those. Why would you make me do that again? I didn't like it the last time and I cheated. Well, I didn't cheat, but I bent the rules. I just didn't play. Let's, let's face it. Yeah. I thought it was fun. I'll find it's another co-host for that date. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be willing to play by the rules. Not, there are other events after Big Sugar, but it kind of is and gravel a little bit of our season closer that yeah it's it's a season closure close close closer closure 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 to the it's a closure opener season closure (laughs) all right folks i need to go um yeah Yeah. so we have actually i loved this interview with Haley. me too she um she really went uh and talked about some of the things that she struggled with as far as uh her mental health and her um, eating disorder and how she manages that and how she has to, some of the things that she has to put around her. And I just was a really great and honest conversation with her. So I think everybody's going to really enjoy this and then enjoying, enjoy watching that last race and see what happens. It's coming up. It's coming up soon. All right. We're going to stop babbling and get on to Haley's conversation. Well, hello, Catherine. Oh, you jumped the gun and just started it. Boom. Uh, Haley, Christy and I have a uh, content. Well, I just kind of wait every week to see if she'll start the podcast. <laughs> and for like a year, she wouldn't. 
And so now she does. <laughs> but Haley came on and I was like, our guest came ready to podcast today. She did. Haley is here, ready to go. It's like, it's like she's at the start line of a, of a lifetime Grand Prix event. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, our guest today is Haley Smith, who uh, you're Canadian, right, Haley? I am. Yes. Okay. Nice. Our, our podcast production company is a Canadian company. So I told yeah. them we had a Canadian on today. Um, but yeah, you, you've done a few things on the bike, including some like Olympics, <laughs> Grand, your first place currently in the Grand Prix series. Uh, so, but I think a lot of our audience doesn't know you because you came primarily from mountain biking. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just start about telling us, you know, who you are, how you got into cycling and yeah, we'll go from there. Sweet. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Haley Smith and I'm from North of North of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, and I, I'm 28 years old and I've been riding a bike for a really long time. Um, I guess competing since I was a junior. So when I was about 18 was when I started to get a little bit serious about, uh, about mountain bike racing. Um, I first got into it because I was kind of tagging along with my dad and my brother and they used to do these 24 hour relay. They actually still do them, but they used to do these 24 hour relay races with their friends. So it would be the dads, all the dads, and then all the sons. And so they started mountain biking and then I started going with them. And to be honest, I really hated it at first. I was like always bleeding and I was always covered in bruises and I sucked at it but I, something had grabbed me. I don't know what. Um, so I stuck with it and I eventually started racing myself and I kind of just like progressed through the sport from there. So I was always on the dirt. I never, um, I haven't ever really done road racing. And this year was my first year racing drop, drop bar bikes in any form with the Grand Prix. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of just progressed through the the Canadian series through the provincial level and the national level and then the international level. And then, I mean, it, it sounds linear when you say it like that, um, ending at the or culminating in the Olympics last year, but it really wasn't a linear process and it's still ongoing. Um, I hope to maybe make another Olympic team. Uh, but right now I'm just doing I'm dabbling in gravel. I'm still, I still have my foot in cross country mountain bike racing. I'm trying out the marathon stuff as well. Really. This is like a a year of, of exploration for me. And it's been great so far. You've had a lot of success. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, I haven't, I haven't, I've had some pretty big highs and I've had some really big lows too. Mm -hmm. And I think like I'm new to gravel, but I have more than 10 years of bike racing experience. And whether your bars are curly or flat, it's like the same thing. It really is. Um, at least in the mechanics of it, the social environment is much different. It's uh, really fun, (laughs) but the experience you bring from any discipline is it crosses over really, really well. So, um, I'm not a new, I'm not uh, a first timer by any means. So, uh, I think I, I came in with expectations to be able to do well. I'm doing better than I expected to be able to, um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, from the beginning, I said, I think a mountain biker is going to win this series, the Grand Prix. Well, there's still two to go. So I know, knows? but, but still, the mountain like, bike, it's, it's not just me. The mountain bikers are sort of leading the whole board. Yeah. Yeah. And even Sturmy, she's got a really strong mm-hmm. mountain bike cross, like 
Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting to watch it. Oh, it's been Um, super fun. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The, the skills, the pack skills you get from mountain biking and just the speed that you're hitting, uh, you're hitting like really technical obstacles with in very close proximity to other people, I think is something that can't be underrated. And so when like the technical aspects of these events are just, they're less demanding than the cross country style of racing. So we haven't really come across anything yet that puts us on the back foot. Um, whereas if you're coming purely from tarmac, it would be, I can imagine it would be a lot more hectic feeling and challenging because just cause it's new. Yeah. Did do you did unbound, correct? I did. Yeah. Was that your first 200 miler? That was my first gravel race. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. Yes, also my first 200 miler, also my first like 150 miler. It was many, many firsts. Um, but it was, yeah, it was fun in a weird sadistic way. Yeah. In a weird sadistic <laughs> way. Exactly. <laughs> what did you have to change about racing that distance from mountain bike racing? I, so I've always done, a, I've always been an athlete that responds to high volume training. So I've done I have a very solid base that I've grown from many years of training. Um, but leading into unbound, um, I wasn't actually able to do that much specific prep because I was racing the cross country world cups, um, at the beginning of May. And then I only had two weeks after those races to prepare for unbound. So I had to rely on a previous base of like, just like my base fitness and XCO sharpness to, like prepare me well enough. And then because I didn't have enough time to do a dedicated training block and recover, I had to go in with the, um, the training camp legs as it were. So basically just get the, the, the tempo engine firing and get to that point. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever experienced it by, but when you're in a high volume training block, you get to this point where you can just kind of keep going. You're pretty dull. You're not really like a sharp, fast athlete, but you could just go forever. Mm-hmm. So my strategy was to get myself to that level and then to, to hope and pray. <laughs> um, but I, otherwise I didn't, I didn't really have time to test equipment. I didn't have time to play around with aero bars or anything like that. So I, I didn't really change anything. I just had to, um, I took a lot of gambles, I guess, and they sort of paid off. So that's awesome. <laughs> The first that your first of many 150 had you had you done a hundred on gravel? Oh, uh, on gravel, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to do this training camp before COVID we would go to Maui every year and there's a loop on oh, Maui nice. that goes <laughs> so around the East half. I, oh, it's, I, I, yeah, it's, we're so lucky that we used to be able to do that, but we, you would go around the East half of Maui. It's called the East Maui loop and it's 200 and. 12 K. So I don't know what that is like a hundred and 160 ish hundred. Yeah. Or, or not quite like 140 miles maybe. Uh, There you go. But, but most of it is there's a huge portion of it. that's like unpaved landslides, broken pavement. So that ride took me, takes us like almost as long as unbound. So I knew that I could, I knew I could ride for 10 to 12 hours. I just didn't know. I had never done that distance. Yeah. 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 I'm curious what you thought of like the finish line and, and kind of everything around it, because especially mountain bike racing, when you're racing at that 
elite pro level, like you're in just a pro field, right. When you're racing. So what was it like to just be finishing with everybody in the craziness of the finish line and the bike wash line? <laughs> well, I was very, so I don't remember who I was so catatonic, but someone washed my bike for me. Oh, maybe so it was, was Christy. Really nice. <laughs> it, it was, maybe it was my team manager. I do remember <laughs> someone taking my bike for me. Um, yeah, yeah, the finish line was, we were kind of all trickling in, in like ones or twos at that point. So you didn't finish. It wasn't a sprint. Uh, you didn't finish with a big pack. So, um, that part wasn't like, it wasn't like a shock or anything like that. Uh, the atmosphere was more like a festival than a world cup would be. It was more like you finished and you felt like you were part of something as opposed to finishing and feeling like other people were watching you do something. So that was really nice. It felt, uh, you finish and you feel like a sense of collective accomplishment, which I really liked, um, that you kind of just don't get at a world cup. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, the start was honestly the biggest shock just being in such a huge group of people. And there's so many incredibly strong people that whose handling skills are maybe mismatched to yours and, there's like flying gravel everywhere. So there's people who are fitter than you that are in front of you, but they are a little bit skittish. So then there's crashes and that part was a little bit scary, uh, but everybody got through it safely, I think, or mostly safely and uh, tried to help each other through it. It's definitely a, a jaw clenching. Yeah. <laughs> to live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com slash feisty. Well, one of the things that um, I've heard you talk about a lot and by a lot, when I Googled you, um, <laughs> <laughs> articles came up, but you are a very big advocate for mental health. And it sounds like it's been something that you've been dealing with your entire life and maybe led to even some of the healthy patterns in your life that almost cost you your career. And, um, I think a lot of people can relate on some level to the things that you talk about. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit about that journey and how you've managed that. Yeah, I am. I'm super open about it. So if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to ask or to interject at any point, but, um, a lot of the time we hear about 
eating disorders in sport. And we hear about how sport has precipitated the eating disorder, particularly when it's an endurance sport. My history with mental illness is a little bit unique in that I actually came to endurance sport after having been diagnosed with a few different things. So when I was in grade nine, I think you're 14 in grade nine. Um, yeah, so 14 years old, I, through a whole long series of things, I ended up developing what was then diagnosed as anorexia undefined and an anxiety disorder. So anorexia undefined, meaning that I had most of the habits of anorexia nervosa, but I was exhibiting some other behaviors that weren't categorizable. Since then, the the DSM, the, the like diagnostic manual for mental illnesses has been updated to include a disorder called orthorexia. And I've been recategorized in those intervening years as having had orthorexia, which is like an obsession uh, and a compulsion with healthiness, with like aggressive healthiness. And long, long story short, I ended up extremely underweight with like non-functional risk of heart failure had to be hospitalized when I was 14. And then I found cycling. So I kind of, um, I came to this endurance sport thinking I'd already experienced the lowest low. I knew how to handle it by this point. I would be, I, I, I just never gave it a thought that cycling might in the future reignite these behaviors that I was working so hard to extinguish. Hmm. Um, and for a while that was true. Like the bike kept me, honestly, it kept me alive. I, I feel very strongly that finding cycling when I was like 15 years old is what the reason I'm alive right now. Um, is that because it helped you manage your anxiety? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, of course. Sorry. I'm, I'm, if I am unclear about anything, please just ask, but yeah, it, it helped me manage anxiety, feelings of depression, like it basically, it just kept me, it kept, it, it was my medicine. It was my medicine. It kept me level. It, it kept my, my hormones and my neurotransmitters functioning properly or as, or better than they would otherwise. Um, it gave me a sense of purpose. It connected me to nature. It taught me how to like positively adapt to these feelings and, and emotions and circumstances I was having, as opposed to mal adapt. Um, mm-hmm. you can look at the behaviors of an eating disorder or an eye, an anxiety disorder, or from behaviors in, in OCD as maladaptive coping mechanisms. you they exist because your brain is trying to help you get through something, but it, it's just, it picks the wrong thing. It, it goes down the wrong path and it becomes, it serves you at a certain point. Like it helps you feel like you're exerting control or, um, Usually that's what the crux of it is, but it harms you in the long run. So anyways, my bike helped me, helped me deal with all of that. And it helped, it still helps it. And for a very long time, it was only positive. And then as I got more serious in the sport, I, and the pressure grew and well, perceived pressure, because I do believe that pressure is perception and it's not real. We invent it especially in sport where like, what's the real stakes of us riding around in circles? Nothing, you know? Right. So, um, yeah, it just, it, it, I've had 
long story short, I have had a few relapses since I became a professional and I've really struggled through them. And honestly, each one is worse than the last. And after Tokyo last year, I was diagnosed with red S, which is relative energy deficiency in sport. And it was both a, both a cause of, and a symptom of my eating disorder, my eating disorders resurgence. So how do I explain this concisely? Um, reds is a, it's, it's relatively common in endurance sport and it's, it can, it can exist because someone has an eating disorder. So essentially they, they overtrain and they don't fuel enough because they have an eating disorder. And then that leads to reds, but under fueling unintentionally can also cause reds, Mm -hmm. which then one of the main side effects of reds is depression and other mental health issues. So it's sort of like this negative feedback loop. So I couldn't tell you exactly what happened first, but I think with the pressure of the Olympics and everything, just everything surrounding that somehow I ended up in a really, really low place. And then at the, the end of last year, when this was happening in October, I was pretty sure that I had no future in bike racing anymore. I thought it was done. I didn't know how to go forward. And then the lifetime grand prix came about and it was this different way that I could try to be pursue the goals that I, I still knew were there and try something new and make it, you know, like financially feasible so that I could actually do it still. And I felt a sense of possibility and exploration to try something, to have the freedom to try something new because I'd been one thing, I'd been a world cup racer for over a decade. And it was, I just, it wasn't firing me up anymore. And it was just heavy. That's all it was, was just heaviness. And so the opportunity to try some gravel was really invigorating. And then now that I've, I've been getting faster and faster throughout the year, as I've gotten mental and physical space from the last quadrennial, but also as I'm sort of absorbing this energy that comes from the the gravel environment and the endurance environment. And it's just, it's just, it's just better. I'm just, it's just so much, it's a healthy place to be, or at least it is for me now. Um, and I'm, yeah, I have to credit these types of events from just showing me what the actual purpose of cycling and bike racing is. And, um, purpose is really powerful. And I think that has helped me like, I'm, I'm in a place where I love it again. I love bike racing again. I'm healthy. I've recovered from reds. I like have a normal cycle again, which I hadn't for a while. Um, I have energy to do things other than like lay on the couch, um, like emotional and physical energy. Anyways. Um, I, that was a really long winded. <laughs> oh no, I thought it was awesome. Know, and but... was there, do you find any sort of signals or triggers that start happening where you're like, you're more aware as you've become more familiar with just your, the, the eating disorder and the reds, are there some things that, you know, okay, I have to be careful here. This feels mm-hmm. like it might trigger it or definitely there's some obvious ones, like any athletes that talk about their weight on social media or their power to weight or like losing, 
like what do they call it like cutting down for an event or whatever like that is a hard no for me I have to unfollow those people immediately I can't see that um I find it very angering actually because I know how badly it impacted me and I just think of those like 16 year old girls that are so impressionable seeing that and there's we have a lot of examples to show you that that's just not necessary for performance it's way easier to get stronger and it's way easier to perform when you're fueled anyway so that's a big trigger um otherwise i think it's mostly like it's mostly attitude and i'm i'm still not in a place where i can target one event or you know like assume take on that like pressure to to perform i have to just see if i perform on the day because i'm curious about it so i just have to be cognizant of the like the mindset I'm bringing to these races and for example like leading the leading the series right now I have to I like that doesn't I can't that just can't matter to me it can't matter because if I start to think about that then it will become something that I'm racing not to lose and I just want to race to see if I my legs can win on the day so that's probably the other one right now that's a really healthy way to look at it and I think in all honesty like I really hope that's a lesson that like, that's the impression that you leave on 16 year olds is, you know, really focusing on what's going to happen on that day and just embracing that because good grief, how many things can go wrong that are completely, completely beyond your control, you know, that, that if that screws up that intention you've set or that goal you've set, it seems very unfair, like to yourself, do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you, if your bike just completely malfunctions, that has nothing to do with how you trained for the event or whatever, you know, it's just, it's, it's not fair to you. And that's one of the things I really like about gravel is there's so much room. There's so much more room for the story. So like you being out there and persevering over everything that is thrown your way has value. It's like that story still gets told and that's, that impacts people and it inspires them. But in other types of racing, those stories just, they're not, they're not told, they're not sold and they're lost. God, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Oh, (laughs) well, it's true. I mean, um, yeah. And I think, I think in this, this style of racing, I have more agency over my, over what is valuable in my participation. I'm not reduced to results and I get to decide what matters. And Anyway, so I think that's, I I really like that aspect that you can, there's always a win to be found. There is always a way to turn your day into, um, yeah, into a positive as cliche as that is. It's very true. And when the races are six or seven or 12 hours long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it seems like this conversation is coming up with several female mountain bikers right now. Do you think mountain biking, because like it's gone to an Olympic sport and it's got such a high level. Is it almost fostering that environment a little bit? Like I know Evie Richards, is it Evie Richards that just came out with an article about her struggles with red S and eating disorders? Yeah. She's talked about that for a little while. And, and she, so she was our world champion last year and she is, she's one of the examples that I was thinking of where she is a, she's a strong, powerful woman and she was the fastest woman in the world until she was dealing with injuries this year. So, um, 
she's a really good example that I often bring up when people like want to talk to me about, um, power to wait or whatever. And she, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I do. I think mountain biking has fostered this environment. Uh, I think mountain biking less so than road. Um, I, I think that honestly, I blame it more on social media and the athletes that have so much influence than I do on the actual sport. Um, yeah, I uh, honestly, everything it's, it's Instagram, like, gosh, it's, I, (sighs) and it's what people decide to put on there is a huge part of it because it's so powerful. You, you can't, you're like, your brain is incapable of, of ignoring those repeated stimuli and those repeated bits of information that tell you that like losing weight is better. And it's just, it's a, it's a farce. It's not true. And it's, it's just really hard to ignore. Yeah. We often, we often talk about, it's really hard to have the conversation about fueling yourself without talking about the cult diet culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because that plays into everything and the idea that women should be small and like, you know, just the culture of what we think about, mm-hmm. about women. Do you, do you know, um, I'm just curious because I know, you know, when you said Evie was the fastest woman and Mary Kane was the same, right? She came from running and it was pressure from her coaching staff that she felt like Mm -hmm. really, and she's probably, well, she's pretty young still, but I think she was a little ahead of like the Instagram era in her training. Mary Kane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I have followed her story. And I think that's also, I should have mentioned that, that I think a lot of that is definitely from abusive coaches and in misinformed coaches and a, and an archaic sports science system, modern sports science does not support those practices. It does not say that this makes you faster. There is, it's just not the evidence anymore. And I think so like that older generation of thought male, male coaches, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say, men. yeah, it's like, it's, it's usually a male coach. Let's just be honest. Yeah. And so that older, it's just, it's antiquated. It's just not, it's just not relevant anymore, but there are still coaches out there who are, who think like that. I'm real. I should clarify. I'm really lucky that I have a male coach who is not like that. Um, he, he's always trying to get me to think less about power to weight and like body composition and everything like that he's like just like just train hard eat well sleep you're like you you are going to be that's how you're going to be your fastest anyways I I need I just wanted to clarify that I have a I'm really lucky with the coaching you gotta think too there's got to be a piece of just being happy oh huge yeah can't like can't we ride our bikes and be happy like what how would it ever turn into riding a bike being something that's just like that insanely stressful. Like I would hate Mm -hmm. it and I wouldn't do it. Like, yeah, just, there's just no way. Yeah. Um, Happiness. Like I think Leah has coined this phrase, Leah Davison, but happiness is fast. It, It truly is like emotional lightness is fast. It's, you have to be just not excited, but clear and bright and, um, enjoyment is, enjoyment is key. Otherwise you end up burnt out, which is where I was. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of people could probably relate. I mean, obviously you had a much more extreme and were diagnosed with disorders, but 
that a lot of people do come to endurance sports because it helps them deal with anxiety mm-hmm. that they feel. <laughs> and then a lot of people yeah. that, that get focused on performance and endurance sports have that like kind of type A, like methodical personality. And so then the next thing can become like obsessing over your eating and your weight to get those, like it becomes a cycle and, you know, like it takes the joy out of it. That's why I left triathlon because I was like, I never want to see another power meter ever again, (laughs) right? Like I'm so sick of just everything being about your power. And yeah, I, I am at 3.999 miles. So I've got to run around the parking lot until I hit four. Oh, I do that. I do like round numbers too. I like round numbers. I'm like, oh, I'm so close to five. Let me just finish this up. But that is, that's just me being a weirdo. Like it has like, that's like me, you know, and I count, like I do this weird thing when I, yeah, nobody wants to know about this anyway. uh, But yes, I like to finish on a round number. (laughs) I had one ride that I wasn't paying attention to and it was 99.8 miles. And I was like, <laughs> the worst is when you upload it to Strava though, and Strava like downgrades it. Downgrades, downgrades it. Yeah. <laughs> like, Damn it. On my watch, it said. Yeah, I, it's that, that one. Was really, that was really painful. My husband was like, "You can't say you rode 100 miles." I'm like, but I did. <laughs> anyway, that's I, I think. Yeah, I think that there's that the healthy balance between whether you think you're doing that for fun or whether you're doing it because you're obsessed with that. Yeah. Is, yeah. you know, where's that, where's that line and, and what's your mental attitude towards it? Like, you know, and I think like, it's also, it's okay to be obsessed with those things if you recognize it and it's not ruling your life. Like yes. if you, yeah. I definitely, I a hundred percent am addicted to cycling. Like I am addicted to how it makes me feel. I cannot function without endurance sport. It's, it's serious, mm-hmm. but I know that. And I've accepted that that's how I self-medicate and I try to make it work in my life. Like everybody's got something that helps them function better. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think just like self-awareness as much as you can practice it is key. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you talking about these things. We we actually had a dietitian on a couple of weeks ago and we had some conversations about this and like had some stuff on our social and it was interesting. Some of the feedback we got, like one woman, when we talked about fueling on a post, she talked about how her, like she had a coach and he was like within week, two weeks, like an amateur athlete, but the two weeks he was like, like trying to micromanage her food. And she's like, dude, no, you're not the coach for me. Um, and then another woman just reached out to me yesterday and she said, Hey, could I want you to create some content that I can share to my OB about how it's normal for women to lose their periods when they're training. And I was like, well, it's not. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I think your OB actually has a right to be concerned. Um, so there's, and I had looked up something and it was like 44% of women think that it's normal to lose your period when you're training. Yeah. And and I think I used to think that too. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not, well, I mean, it it happens, but it shouldn't. And it doesn't have to just because it's common. doesn't mean it's normal. Yeah. And if you're fueling properly, if you're, if you're losing your period, you are fueling improperly and you are missing out on gains. There is yes. no question about it. You are not getting as fast as you could otherwise be. 
Um, the fastest I've ever been has been when I've had a very regular period and that's put me amongst the top in the world. The slowest I've ever been is typically coincided with when I've had prolonged periods without a cycle. Interesting. Yeah. You just like, you don't, if you're under fueled, your body is, does not have enough energy to adapt to the load you're doing. So in that circumstance, all you're doing is exercising to lose weight. You are not exercising to get faster. Yeah. And especially for women that have like an IUD or a hormonal birth control where they're not getting a cycle, you have to be really diligent because your period is one of the markers that you could be going into under fueling. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's super personal for everyone, but I've never, like, I haven't been able to go on hormonal birth control because I have, like, I have a history with this and it's a risk factor for me. So the doctors are like, no, we, we need to know if you have a natural cycle or not. So not for you. Um, but I mean, everybody's like, you have to make the choices right for you, but yeah. It really sounds like you have some, a, a good support network around you. Yeah. It's honestly remarkable that I was able to dig myself into the holes that I have because so many people were there with shovels trying to dig me out at the same time. <laughs> but, like, Stop it, Ailey. <laughs> yeah, basically. And like my family included, but I mean, mental illness is really powerful and it takes a team and you're probably not going to win every day. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's really important, right? Because like you said, in the Instagram world, we hear the successes yeah. and we don't see like the days that it's just shit and you don't want to get off the couch. And you're like, even, even me talking right now, like, I think I come across as like having it figured out and knowing where I'm at. And that's also not the whole story. Like I, I definitely still, I think there have been multiple times in my life where I thought, you know what, I don't have an eating disorder anymore. I'm through it. And then life is like, well, bam. And I realized how naive I was. <laughs> and I think now I know that right now I'm okay, but I fully expect that at times in the future, I'm not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's probably just the biggest difference for me right now. That's a like, huge win though, honestly, Yeah, yeah. because that allows you to, to accept it when it's happening instead of trying to deny it. Yeah. Or at least like recognize it. Yeah. Sometimes I don't think you try to deny it, but you do anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways. Yeah. What are, do you have any um, advice for women or for even girls that are coming up? Um, obviously staff social media. <laughs> Or unfollow people that don't inspire you. Um, unfollow assholes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, like, are there things that you look back and you're like, gosh, I wish I would have had this advice or any of those things? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I have, it depends on what stream you're going into or why you're, comp- why you're participating or competing. Um, one thing I've done in the last year is, no longer weighed myself. So I haven't, it's been almost a complete year since I've, I've known what my body weight is. And I think that's been really, really good for me and I've just gotten faster. So obviously it wasn't helping me to keep track of it. So I would recommend just like ditching the scale and don't thinking, don't think about it. Um, in that same vein, I don't think you need to train with power. I, I do look at my power meter after efforts to kind of see how I produced my power and where, how things worked out in races and how I can be faster, but I don't ride to power in training. 
And I think that's really valuable too, because it's, it, it's just exhausting and you, you don't, Evie Richards doesn't train with power. Like you don't, you don't need it. Um, so those are two like practical things. If you're, if you're like me and you're pretty type A about performance. Um, but other than that, it is supposed to be fun. That's like, like Sermi says, it's supposed to be fun. And that applies to the absolute elite performers in the world as well. It is supposed mm-hmm. to be fun because that's how you get fast. So do whatever you need to do and structure your training or participation so that it's giving you that, 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 that feedback, that motivation to continue. Because if you're not having fun, not only is it truly not worth it, but it's also not going to be sustainable and you won't achieve your potential. Um, yeah. Wow. And then unfollow assholes on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> that would do. Yeah. But I think that it's supposed to be fun. is like such good advice for anybody, right? Like whether mm-hmm. you're like, I'm just going to go ride back of the pack, like have fun at an event, or I'm trying to go for the, you know, like when my age group or elite field, because I think a lot of people don't go because they put too much pressure on themselves. They just don't have fun with it. And it's like, my bike may break six miles in, like just go have a party. Fun and fun is like an abstract construct. Like it doesn't, it's a really interesting thing to study actually, because lots of other cultures don't even have a word for fun. It's a very like Western thing. Um, they have words for funny, but they don't have words for fun. Um, but it can be like, like winning is fun. Pushing yourself really hard can be a certain type of fun. It doesn't have to be like jokes and laughs all the time. There's other ways for like fulfillment and fun to intersect. So like, I sometimes get self-conscious or self-critical because I'm like, I don't know how to have fun. I don't know how to do things just for fun, but there's just many different ways to fulfill that. And that's, I think what it is, is just that your fun maybe looks different than other people's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that I, (laughs) it's, it's really kind of what gravel is about. Like ultimately it's like mm-hmm. show up and do it how you want to do it. Like, yeah. Like the comments that people make all the time are pros ruining gravel. I'm like, why would a pro being at a race ruin your gravel race? Yeah. Like, I don't understand that. What, what are you doing wrong mm-hmm. that gives your day over the control of your day over to somebody else that you don't even know? Like show up, have fun, stop worrying about that. Like just show up and you know, have fun. Like whatever that, whatever that looks like for you. Um, Mm -hmm. nobody can ruin it. If you, you know, if, especially if you don't let them like, that's Mm -hmm. just an interesting comment that I, of course we hear that, you know, if all else spells right with Allie Tetrick, she has a fast. (laughs) (laughs) I've ridden a couple with Abby. Abby Robbins and like that's been they probably well yeah they don't have a blast because they don't drink but (laughs) (laughs) but that's I mean I just you know for me it was fun I had fun being competitive a while ago and then now I'm having fun just being social out there and you know will I go back to being more competitive at some point maybe that sounds fun and that's what I'll do but right now I'm having fun doing it this way and so it's just Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've, I really enjoyed pushing myself as hard as I could to see how fast I could go. It was fun. Um, I had fun doing that. So it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, just, I'm just in a little bit different headspace right now. And, you know, that's all just, Mm -hmm. just have fun and yeah. And follow assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Well, speaking of having fun, where can people, where will you be having fun for the rest of the year? <laughs> How'd y'all like that one? How'd you like that transition? <laughs> that was good. Um, so yeah, I've got, we've got Schwamigan coming up next. Um, so if you're going to be there, say hi for sure. I love meeting. That's one of the cool things about this series. Is I've met so many new, interesting people. Uh, so Schwamigan and then Big Sugar, it will be my last race. Um, but I'm actually, I just started school in a, a master's program started last week. So those will be my last two events of the year. And then other than that, I'm going to be like working in riding around research and stuff. Oh, wow. What do you, what's the master's program in? It's in sports psych, uh, but the focus of the lab is not so much on performance. It's more on um, healthy child development. So like structuring the child's sport environment uh, so that it yields positive outcomes in kids and like the development of positive characteristics. So lots of kind of in line with what we've been talking about, like how do you use sport to make good people and make people that have fun? That's amazing. Could you send your research to my brother? when you're? <laughs> <laughs> Cause he's so stressed out about my niece's little soccer games and she's not doing oh, well enough. No. And I'm like, just back off buddy. Yeah. Hands off <sighs> is the best approach. Your kid will find the best way through it. Yep. <laughs> um, Awesome. And then Haley, where can people follow you? Uh, as I've trashed in- Instagram, that's also the primary <laughs> platform that I use. So, um, if you're an is- asshole, do not yeah. follow Haley. <laughs> my, my handle is uh, at Haley Hunter Smith. Uh, and then otherwise, I, I do use Twitter, but I've kind of taken a step back from it after a an article I wrote this year went way more viral than I could mentally handle. Um, but that that handle is hail h-a-l-e underscore smith and then i just use strava so i kind of post everything to strava if you're interested in how i train or what i do i keep very few things hidden um but yeah that's it awesome well i am hoping i'll get to meet you in person at big sugar chris you'll be there I love as well that. i'll grab your bike for you sweet thank you <laughs> i probably will fall over after that one are you gonna pee on your bike that's the question <laughs> oh god that is one thing i never thought i'd have to learn how to do but thank you unbound <laughs> it's just at triathlon finish lines it's like the people that grab the bikes I'm like, oh man i've gotten i've gotten a hold of some really nasty ones i'm like I'm dang not. it dang it yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll end up okay. peeing on the bike <laughs> Anyway, we can Thanks. cut this out. <laughs> Carrie, do not cut this out. Yeah, don't cut this out because I didn't know up until this year, I had so many questions and I was too afraid to ask people how they were going to pee. So leave it in there. Haley, I am also an open book. So anytime you have any questions about <laughs> gravel scene or anything, you can ask okay. me. I've been around it since 2006. Whoa. <laughs> And hopefully your sponsor has dropped bibs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Those are game changers. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you so you much for joining us. <laughs> you have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast and be sure to follow us at girls gone gravel on Instagram or Facebook.